The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of the future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they'll discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, indeed. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're in the right place. I always do, and I'm always right. Welcome to one of our newest series, The Future of the Future with Game Changers. And if you're not sure when the future is, the future is right after I stop talking. That's the future. Okay, we just went into the future. There you go. The buzz today is, yes, try this at home, please. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. But let's get started. The Internet of Things, fondly known by so many around the world as IoT, will change people's lives. That's mine, yours, everybody we know in very profound ways. Oh, you're probably thinking, yeah, right, my refrigerator will be connected and it'll reorder the milk before I run out and the lights will come on when I come home and blah, blah, blah. No, we're talking about something a little deeper than that. Today we're talking about our health and our very lives. So let's talk. The IoT can connect patients at home directly to healthcare professionals and perhaps more important for many of them to life-saving help 24-7-365 but without their having to get up leave home and go to a doctor's office an emergency care place a medical facility a hospital you know people want to be at home in most cases and IOT will allow that but a lot of questions come to mind devices are involved how will these devices work Number two, will they be reliable? Number three, and this is a top of mind concern for everybody, will your private health care data be secure as it's traveling over these sensors from place to place and from you to a doctor or a facility or somebody you've never heard of? Maybe even the most important, how will we train our health care providers to optimize positive outcomes and make sure everything works at its optimum ideal level? A lot of questions on the table, and that's why we have a panel to help us answer these questions today. Three very, very top-of-the-line speakers, and they are all experts in this field. So first up, I'm pleased to welcome Tom Foley. He is the Global Health Solution Strategy Manager for Lenovo Health. And Tom has sent me a very inspiring quote from Jim Casey, who was the founder of UPS. The quote I'm going to read in just a second is from 1949. But if you've never heard of Jim Casey, I suggest you look him up. Just Google him. Go on Wikipedia. He's an American businessman born in a place called Pickhandle Gulch near Candelaria, Nevada. As if anybody ever heard of that? Well, I think he put it on the map. 
At 19 years old in 1907, Jim Casey founded uh, the American Messenger Company in Seattle, Washington, with a hundred bucks borrowed from a friend. Okay. A short six years later, he agreed to merge it with something called Everett McCabe's Motorcycle Messengers, and they formed a company called Merchant's Parcel Delivery. Guess what the first delivery car was back in 1913? Of course, a Ford Model T. Along the way to this great success, he always gave credit to her. Perhaps he blamed his mother, Annie Casey, for holding the family together after the dad died. He left quite a legacy, and Jim Casey was inducted into the U.S. Department of Labor Hall of Fame in 2002. Now that you know about who we're quoting, here's the quote. Determined people make conditions. They don't allow themselves to be victims of them. Determined people working together can do anything. Tom Foley, thank you for this fabulous quote. How are you today, Tom? Very good. How are you doing? I'm fine. I understand that you have UPS in your background. Why don't you tell us how you came to pick this quote and perhaps what Jim Casey's company meant to you? So back in, uh, I hate to say it, but back in uh, 86, I, uh, all the way back in 86, I, uh, I started working for UPS when they started uh, converting from a paper-based uh, system to a electronic system, very similar to what healthcare has been uh, engaging. But, uh, so I, and I spent uh, six years of my uh, early uh, part of my career at, uh, at UPS, and UPS is very aligned with their, uh, with their founder, and uh, quite often uh, started off meetings uh, quoting uh, Jim Casey. Um, and I always found this one to be uh, very intriguing because if you look at the history of UPS and where he started and versus where it was in 86 and where it was in, you know, where it was in 49, where it was in 86 and where it is now, mm-hmm. uh, many people could have, said, have probably have said, hey, Jim, you can't do that. Uh, put, putting uh, limitations and and uh, blocks in his way, and in the organization's way, and I have, you know, I have always found it uh, motivating um, to reflect back on uh, some of the things uh, uh, that we've done, and and say, hey, you know, it's really all about what conditions you make, um, and working with people uh, to to make uh, things better uh, over time. So. The idea of uh, determined people making conditions, don't allow themselves to be victims of them, in together to do anything, that's really the, the heart and soul of where healthcare is today in, mm-hmm. in the context of this market is in huge transformation. It was in huge transformation in 08 when electronic health records first took off. And now it's in an, yet another transformation now that things are more in an electronic format it has accelerated the change in behavior and the whole way in which healthcare uh, is delivered and will be delivered in the future. Thank you, Tom. Very interesting. Something jumps out at me in this quote. By the way, it's a wonderful quote, and it's, he puts it so simply, just lays it on the line. This, the idea of using the word people make conditions, determined people make conditions, we don't normally hear that kind of plain talk. It's usually more lofty. But the thing that jumped out at me is, he says, determined people working together. And in my mind, Tom, when I think of IoT and I think of the devices and the sensors, there's one, <clears throat> excuse me, a person on one end and 
and a person or people on the other end doing something with the information that's transmitted, analyzing it, saving it, acting upon it. So the working together to me is is something I don't think we humanize IoT in the sense that, yeah, these sensors, they're cool, they're connected, they're devices. Wow, they've got patents on them, but there's people at either end. Any thoughts about that? Am I on the right track with that, Tom? You are on the right track uh, about that. And, you know, it's not really just about the technology. It's, it's really how does technology enable things and how do uh, consumers engage work at technology to improve the things that they're looking to do? And then more broadly, how does the entire care team leverage technology and work collaboratively across that, those care settings uh, to improve one's health. You know, the average Medicare patient has five chronic conditions, nine sees nine different doctors in a mm. given year. Internet of Things, as we move forward, will be a huge, um, uh, a huge foundation of technology relative to how uh, care collaboration uh, uh, takes place uh, as we move forward. Thank you very much. I'm I'm laughing <clears throat> proudly a little bit as you talked about all of the the uh, types of doctors, physicians, and specialists. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry about my voice. Uh, that the average Medicare patient sees my mom just turned 99 a couple weeks ago, and I think she has exactly two God doctors. And that's it. Two doctors and very, very little meds and extremely healthy. It's like, okay, you don't want to be normal. That's fine with me, mom. Let's, let's beat the odds here. Okay. Thank you, Tom. Pleasure to meet you. And let's turn to our second panelist, Tim O'Malley, president of Early Sense. And Tim has been on one of our game changer shows before. Tim has sent me a very interesting quote. Of course, it's an elegant quote from Leonardo da Vinci. I know everybody knows who da Vinci is, but let me just give you a little background. Leonardo D. Sir Piero da Vinci, more commonly known as Leonardo da, that's what they said in Wikipedia, da Vinci, was an Italian polymath who was interested in, get this, invention, painting, sculpting, architecture, science, museum, math, engineering, literature, anatomy, geology, astronomy, botany, writing, history, and cartography, that's maps. He has been variously called the father of paleontology, the father of ichnology, not even sure what that is, and the father of architecture, and widely considered one of the greatest painters of all times. He invented things including the parish the helicopter, the tank, and his genius epitomized the Renaissance humanist ideal. So when our children or grandchildren come to us and say, nah, I don't want to go to that club after school. Nah, I just want to come home and do my homework. Nah, I want to watch cartoons if they still do that or play arcade games. No, model your education after Da Vinci and be interested in everything. So that brings me to the quote. I'm sorry to be preachy. Tim O'Malley, here's the quote you sent me from Da Vinci. Simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Tim, welcome back on Game Changers. How are you today? I'm good, Bonnie. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Interesting. Uh, do you, you agree with me about an approach to education, that we should look far and wide and take in all we can in this big, wide, connected world? What do you think? I think it's an incredible <clears throat> time in history to be able to even do that, and I think that the more uh, experiences and exposure each of us have in different areas, I think that it's only going to benefit us as a whole, and I think individually as well. So I, I do believe it's the right way to look at things. Thank you. And sorry to, to move away from the purpose of your quote, which is to talk about what this means to you and how it relates to our topic. So talk to me. Simplicity, 
that's the one of the biggest goals in businesses and finance and every discipline all over the world today. Simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. So talk to me, Tim. I think we're at a very interesting time when it comes to health care and when it comes to um, how we're going to care for people in the future. And I think, <clears throat> as Tom stated, there's you know, a, a large transformation occurring in healthcare on so many different levels. Um, you know, one level that I look at is, you know, the aging population and <clears throat> how and in, in, in what manner are those people going to be cared for in their own homes because I think that is where the future is going to take us. Um, there's approximately 75 million people in the baby boom generation. You know, those people range in age from roughly 50 to 70 years old today. Um, they have parents, and those parents are older. You mentioned your mother's 99 years old. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm sure a lot of us have examples of you know parents and relatives that are well in their 80s and 90s and beyond. And I think that we are at such an interesting intersection because technology today has become so simple that you can take an iPad or an iPhone or, you know, another type of smartphone into a home, pair it with sensors throughout the home. And I think instead of, like you mentioned, your mother being on a vast uh, number of medications. No, no, no. I said she's not, actually. She only has two doctors and she takes almost no meds. I was always exactly the opposite. Yeah, go ahead. And I think that's everyone's desire, right, is to try to be as, you know, free from medication, free yes. from <clears throat> being tethered to a healthcare system if they can be. Um, and I think that the technology that's available today and, and, you know, smart devices coupled with sensors in the home will allow us to build smart homes for healthcare, not necessarily for control of appliances or garage door openers or things of that sort, which I think is also possible. But I think, you know, the, the marrying of these smart devices that are simple with sensors that might be embedded within the home can can allow us to continue to have people like your mother be independent uh, as much as they can be uh, while still being monitored without them having to do any interface to the monitoring. And I think that's a key. It absolutely is a key. Thank you very much. And thoughts about IoT and simplicity. Is it inherent? Is it something that is IoT the epitome of simplicity or does it have a ways to go? I think that you know, there's levels of it, right? And I think <clears throat> the level that the user has to interface with, and the user can be defined as somebody like your mother or a child of that person or a caregiver of that person, I think at that level it has to be very simple. Um, and I think that the, comp- the complexity and the sophistication comes behind that, if you will. And so I think that we have the ability today with sensors and smart devices to collect and process enormous amounts of data, uh, and I think that that data will be used for preventative measures in the future. And so I think the the data and the behind-the-scenes analytics is going to be very complex, but I think that the interface to those devices, sensors, that will result in the collection of that data should be very simple, and I think it will be. Thank you. Good. I like that optimism. I appreciate that, and nice to speak with you again. And let's bring on our third panelist. Call it all the way from Barcelona. It's Josh Waddell. If you want to look him up, it's W-A-D-D-E-L-L. And he is a global vice president for SAP's Internet of Things business innovation team. 
That's why he's here. And Josh has sent me one of the few remaining real quotes from Albert Einstein because Einstein is so popular. Everybody thinks that anything that anybody says that's smart and old came from Einstein. But this is a real Einstein quote. By the way, Einstein, a German-born theoretical physicist, developed the theory of relativity, one of the two pillars of modern physics. His work is known for its influence on the philosophy of science. That's interesting. He received the 1921 Nobel Prize in Physics for his services to theoretical physics, discovered a lot of things, including uh, the law of photoelectric effect, which was a pivotal step in the evolution of quantum theory. And of course, we're all used to seeing the cartoons with Einstein's wild and gorgeous white hair uh, for his his uh, most famous equation in the world, E equals mc squared. I rest my case. Here's the quote. The world as we have created it is a process of our thinking. It cannot be changed without changing our thinking. Very profound. Josh Waddell, welcome. How is Barcelona today? It's great. Thanks for uh, having me, um, Bonnie, live from uh, Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. Delighted to have you. And what time of day is it, by the way, right now in Barcelona? It's uh, just after 4 o'clock in the morning. Okay, we're happy to have you. I know you had to scramble and find a place to call from, and we are very appreciative. So, love the quote. Talk to me. How did you pick this quote, and how does it relate to our topic on IoT and healthcare, Josh? Well, I, I really picked the quote because it was around thinking, and we all talk about Einstein's brain as kind of being one of the, the you know the, the greatest brain that that has been on Earth, and. On the other side of that, we, we know he was dyslexic, and at the time, and still today, is considered a learning disability. So I love the, love the kind of the, the, the dualism of the quote of, of thinking and, and the brain, and, and honestly, how little we know even today about the brain and how it works. So that was one of the reasons I chose the quote, and the other was really in the quote itself about we'd have to change our thinking, and I think that's going to be one of the biggest areas of impact um, for healthcare and IoT is actually changing our thinking about how the business models are going to be disrupted um, across the, the the healthcare industry. So, you know, if we if we have you know better patient uh, care through you know connected devices and sensors, is that going to change office visits and reimbursements of office visits because we can do a lot of things remotely? So, I, I like the concept of the quote to be. We really have to change our, our fundamental thinking because we're going to be changing some, we're going to be disrupting some existing business models. Interesting, Josh. I'm, I'm thinking about the concept of changing thinking, and before anybody had IoT as a gleam in their eye, can you imagine the thinking was, well, we have a patient, we have to get him or her to the hospital instead of a community ambulance. Maybe we'll get a private ambulance. Maybe we'll get a fancy limo outlet outfitted with a bed. Maybe we'll airlift them. And they they were thinking that changing the way you get a patient from point A being the home or wherever they have fallen or become ill to the healthcare facility, that was a change in thinking. And then all of a sudden the idea, well, probably not all of a sudden at all, the idea that you can connect something to the patient and digitally connect their information to a person very far away. Such a huge change in thinking. Can you imagine, was there a eureka moment when somebody said, we don't have to move the patient? Josh, any thoughts on what you think that moment was like? Was it an Einstein moment? <laughs> yeah, it, no, it is really interesting you bring it up, Bonnie, because you know, even today you see, like, in ambulatory services in different countries, I mean, they have different philosophies about 
um, how quickly you move a patient. Um, you know, some countries will try to do a lot of stuff on site, and then other countries they'll have some, some seemingly, you know, scoop up the patient, get them as fast as you can to the nearest, you know, level trauma center. Um, so I don't know if there's a, a real, you know, comment I have right on the our eureka moment, but I think this concept <laughs> of, of, of evolution of where do you treat the patient has been in works a little bit, but it's certainly going to change much, much more as we, as we get into a more connected world. Thank you very much. Didn't mean to put you on the spot. I'm just thinking somebody had that eureka moment. Wow, we can do this. They don't have to move. Not yet anyway. And there would go all of our ambulance and hospital ER types of shows. If we didn't have to move patients from A to B, we couldn't hire all of those extra actors. But I digress. Let me circle back to Tom Foley. Tom, I know you can't wait to tell me what's in your cup today. What are you drinking right now? Or what are you thinking about drinking that will make you happy? Tom Foley, where are you calling from? Uh, I'm calling from uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. And, oh, uh, oh, yes, yes, yes. And I typically drink one of three things, either a Long Island iced tea, a mojito, or uh, a Malbec red wine. So uh, today I'm probably drinking a, uh, a red wine because I'm having uh, somewhat of an, uh, well, not somewhat, a, an intelligent conversation uh, uh, <laughs> with others. So uh, uh, otherwise I'd probably be drinking one of the other two. So I'm here in 10:20 in the morning in New York, and you're in my same time zone. Are you going to wait till after the show? Uh, maybe. No. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You can look out your window in Raleigh and wave to my daughter. She and her husband are living somewhere nearby, although they're probably at work right now. But but we'll do a, a remote shout out from Tom to Rose and Stephen. Thank you very much, <laughs> T- Tim. I'm only teasing. Drink up. Tim O'Malley, where are you calling from, and what are you drinking right now, or what are you thinking about drinking? I'm calling from the Boston area today, and I am drinking a bottle of water and uh, just thinking of spring. And tell me, what kind of water? Is it in a bottle? Is it from a tap? Is it cold? Does it have ice? Is it flavored? Does it have ionic magic properties? What kind of water? It's just a plain old bottle of water. And just nice and cold and crisp and refreshing. Ah, that's what I was looking for. Thank you very much. And Josh Waddell, it's tea time in Barcelona, but I don't know if they do tea like the Brits do. So, Josh Waddell, what are you drinking right now? I know you're in a hotel somewhere. What are you thinking about drinking after the show? You know, I was I was planning to be in Germany, uh, so we're at half of Iceland, but uh, but I'm not. I'm still in Spain, um, so I'll probably have the a nice red uh, Rioja, like a local wine. Sounds good. And you're going to wait till after the show, right? Are you and Tom going to toast while I'm where we're taking a break? That's fine with me if you want. Guess what? We are Just going to take. Oh, you're sweet. <laughs> oh, please. No flattery. It will get you everywhere. We are going to take a quick break. Very interesting conversation. We've already opened with some very interesting, inspirational and provocative quotes from our three speakers. We're talking today with Tom Foley, the Global Health Solutions Strategy Manager for Lenovo Health. We're also speaking with Tim O'Malley, the president President of Early Sense Inc., and we'll hear more about that. And Josh Waddell, Global VP for SAP's IoT Internet of Things Business Innovation Team. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to episode number two of one of our brand, brand, brand new series, The Future of the Future with Game Changers Radio. Shout out to our sponsors at SAP, Brad Borkin and Susan Walker. Thank you for conceiving this very interesting topic. We have so many shows about the future.
future. I don't know what the present is doing, but we're certainly future-focused on SAP Radio recently. So we're going to take a quick break. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We will be back in about 60 seconds. Count them. Justin, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. An unprecedented pace of change, driven by exciting technology advances like the Internet of Things, is disrupting your industry and every other industry around the globe. Your future business success will be influenced by your ability to understand and harness these innovations and many more. Mobile devices instantaneously connecting the world populations, robotics, 3D printing, and self-driving cars. The sharing economy and ubiquitous global business networks. Reality Check. The future is happening right now. Join us for insights from industry experts on what it all means for your business and your daily life. The Future of the Future with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit SAP.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to the future of the future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the future of the future with Game Changers. Yes, indeed. The future of the future is here. Our topic today is IoT, that's the Internet of Things, and healthcare, bringing it home, and it is capital, so it's IT home. That's what we're talking about. My panelists today are Tom Foley at Lenovo Health, Tim O'Malley at Early Sense Inc., and Josh Waddell at SAP. Okay, time for our roundtable. Tom Foley, you sent me a lot of interesting notes, and here's where I think we're going to start our roundtable. You say, the IoT models embraced by remote monitoring and telehealth solutions, and I want you to elaborate on that, will give patients the necessary empowerment. A lot of meat on the bones there. So, Tom, why don't you expand it for us, please? Go ahead. Yeah, uh, you know, the current healthcare system, as uh, we know it, is really uh, a reactive healthcare system, and the patients really aren't truly engaged. One of the signs of that is... Um, you know, when 50%, 30 to 50% of all prescriptions written uh, by a doctor as a, as a result of an encounter with a patient are never filled, it, mm. talks, it talks really that the patient is, is very disconnected from, uh, from the true desire to move towards a state of wellness. Um, and, the, you know, the, the reason why they don't uh, fill that script, there are, there are many that people have talked about. Uh, so, you know, the Internet of Things and embracing, uh, you know, how do we treat the, the, the most vulnerable, if you will, uh, in the healthcare system? And those are the ones with the chronic conditions. Um, and as I alluded to earlier, there are, you know, the average Medicare patient has multiple chronic conditions, um, more so in the later, uh, later years of their life. And they are the ones that need the, the, the most monitoring. So when there's 
8,760 hours in a given year, and you're only in front of the doctor 10 to 15 hours out of that year, how, what, the, what does the patient do? How, how, do they, how do they remain engaged? Uh, how do they become more uh, aware of their conditions? Because I, I, I draw the conclusion that, you know, the greater the awareness of what you're truly uh, uh, managing, the, the, more, the better you are become educated, and education leads to change of behaviors. Change of behavior uh, leads to wellness. And that's really what the, the, the market is, the healthcare market is moving to, is not a reactive healthcare system. It's a, it's a healthcare system of maintaining wellness uh, to mitigate um, the management of chronic conditions over time. So remote monitoring, uh, you know, on a day-to-day basis will be just the simplicity of, uh, as uh, was referenced earlier, of just wearing a wearable uh, to more... Uh, um, um, uh, medical grade um, monitoring of devices and um, raises the information of awareness of the, the ability of awareness to you know the relative to the data and then but remote monitoring is only half of the equation uh, now that the data is being brought out and you're you're actively monitoring that on a day to day basis you start to think about geez I ate a jelly donut yesterday maybe that's why my glucose monitor and my glucose levels are way out of whack here. Maybe I should stop eating that jelly donut. But the 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 the, the other the, the closing of the loop there is that mm-hmm. when I have that remote monitoring and someone not only myself but my air team is looking at that data, I want the ability to actually engage that patient or engage my doctor uh, almost on a real time basis, or maybe not the doctor but the member of the care team, and that's where telehealth comes into play. So it's a full circle of monitoring, data collection, analysis, and closing that loop by having an immediate encounter, real-time healthcare, proactive healthcare, not um, uh, reactive healthcare. Thank you. Very interesting. Tim O'Malley, love to get your thoughts on this. Yeah, I think, <clears throat> I think telemedicine has been around for a long time, and I think that the reason that it hasn't really taken off is because the solutions have been too complex. I mean, there's reimbursement issues as well, but I think the solutions have been too complex. You know, you think about a elderly person that may have heart failure, for example, or may have COPD and heart failure. You know, they're uncomfortable, they're pretty sick people, and they're in their home many times, and, and the traditional telehealth solutions have been technologies that have been developed for the hospital setting moved out to the home. And then we ask these patients or these people that are elderly people that are sick to apply these technologies to themselves, whether it's a blood pressure cuff that they have to wrap around their arm, whether it's a a three-lead EKG that they have to put on their body to acquire a uh, signal from their heart or whether it's a pulse oximetry sensor that they have to put on their finger. And I think, you know, and always they have to get on a scale to weigh themselves because Mm -hmm. uh, clinicians are concerned about fluid retention and and weight gain. And I think what the problem has been, and I'm speaking from experience because my mother was a heart failure patient late in her life, Mm -hmm. and this is what they asked her to do in the mid-1990s. And today, if you were to walk into a heart failure patient's home, it would be the same thing. 
So it hasn't evolved uh, at, a, at a rate that it should have. And I think that what we talked about earlier, where you have smart devices that have a very simplistic user interface, an iPad, an iPhone, another smartphone like an Android phone, coupled with sensors that the patient doesn't have to interface with, it really changes the game for these patients and their families because what I saw my mother do is apply these traditional healthcare sensors and devices to herself. She would take the readings and then she would, at the time, modem them over to a healthcare home, home, home healthcare agency. And inevitably, the, the data was, was wrong because she put the blood pressure cuff on wrong or she put the EKG oh. leads on in the wrong place. And the home care agency would say, you know, can you do it again? Can you do it again? And if they didn't like what they saw, they would ask her to either go to her doctor or go to the emergency room. And <clears throat> in reality, there probably was nothing wrong with her at the time. It was mm. a poor interface to the devices that, that were put in front of her to use to try to acquire data. And I think that we are at a fascinating time because I think we can finally get to the point that these patients can have sensors in their chairs, sensors in their beds, sensors in their home that not only measure behavior of that person but measure their actual status from a vital signs perspective. And so that data can continuously stream <clears throat> to home care agencies, to you know, data analytics centers, um, to help head off potential avalanches that might occur with that type of a patient. So I think that's one extreme. I think the other extreme is going to be personal health and well-being. And as Tom stated, I think most people today want to participate in their own health care. I think we've started to make that shift over the past several years, and I think that as a society, I think most people want to participate in their own health care. And I think that you know, these simplistic devices that will be available uh, in the future will allow all of us to be able to do that so that we can manage our lives, you know, limit the jelly donuts or, or increase exercise or limit red wine to ensure that we are <clears throat> well, stable, and controlled when it comes to some of the parameters that we have to measure on ourselves on a regular basis. Thank you. That's very optimistic. I'm I'm tweeting this most. What you said, to, uh, Tim. Most people today want to participate in their own health care. Uh, just, just. It's important for people to know that they can, and to know that it's worth their while. And it's also important for their families, especially if the families are geographically not close and they worry about each other. That's all a good thing. Thank you very much, Josh Waddell. Love to get your input on what we've already heard from Tim and from Tom. Well, I see a lot, um, especially being at Mobile World Congress, that the, maybe they should have renamed it IoT World Congress, and mm-hmm. there's tons of healthcare information here. Um, in healthcare, they typically don't call it IoT. They call it something else about health monitoring or fitness activity tracking, you know, personal emergency response. But there's a lot of it here. Um, I see most of the activity really on the kind of fitness side. Where you know you you, you know the Under Armour's launched uh, a ton of products in in, in conjunction with um, with a, with a technology company where they have a, a scale and, and it's all around your fitness and you know reaching your goals in the fitness. You know I 
I do see tons of other connected devices out there, the blood pressure monitoring, the glucose readers, and, and there are, you know, IoT um, gateways being established to, to um, bring these um, kind of more remote health monitoring uh, solutions back to, to health, health providers. Um, but I think that, you know, you, you just don't quite see the adoption um, as much as you do on the, uh, on the fitness side today. Um, and some of it may be related to, you know, the, the, the t- comments that the panelists have already been saying, you know, the accuracy of the readings today. I do think a lot of that will improve. The, the devices are getting very easy to use. Um, there's also less of a kind of a learning gap um, that's, you know, kind of some of the, the, the people. My grandmother occasionally wears a, uh, she's, uh, she's still alive, bless her heart, in, in, in her late 90s. Um, mm. still wears a remote heart running, but for her to operate, it's very, very difficult just because, you know, even a smartphone is something that's very foreign yeah. to her. Um, so as we start to, to move the technology that way, the, the human adoption, I think, will, will also uh, improve. And the other thing, I think the, the devices themselves will get less intrusive. Uh, there's a lot of things we can do around contextual awareness, just to kind of awareness of the surrounding um, that could impact, you know, so we do, we do that today with activity tracking, tracking your steps. Um, but there's other things, another technology like computer vision that can analyze images and, and, you know, everybody knows like Shazam can, you know, basically pick out any song from any environment in, in just a couple seconds. So, you know, those types of contextually aware like location, proximity, uh, sound, and, 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 uh, and vision things will start to become more advanced where they can really um, augment some of the other information that, that is kind of um, maybe a little bit more intrusive. Thank you very much. You're, you're uh, making me think of the this bracelet, this sensor bracelet that we insist that my mom wears when she's in New York. She's coming back next week from Florida, and she really hated it in the beginning. It's just a simple question of strapping on this kind of ugly, metallic, gray, plasticky thing, and I have to do the interface, hook it up to the, the uh, monitor device that's hooked up to that's cabled to her modem she still has a mac in both the places where she lives and she does carry a cell phone but doesn't always charge it so you know we do the best we can but yeah it's it's a struggle sometimes but we all mean well thank you very much tom foley interesting comments from your co-panelists what do you have to say you started this conversation any comments on what tim and josh added yeah, all uh, all very interesting uh, comments, and I think uh, when you take a look at what Nike might be doing versus what uh, you know, glucose monitors in the home, you know, there is a there's different demographics that I think we we need to target in parallel, and the uh, because what we don't want to do is is lose the younger population to the same behaviors of of obesity and and moving and which ultimately creates one of the feeders into creating multiple chronic conditions so the more that we can focus on wellness and and fit fitness and and things in that and the right eating habits uh in the earlier demographics all the better to uh, mitigate any um downstream cost if you will uh relative to um again contracting the Conditions, uh, but you know, but the the word here is as um, as Tim had stated is simplicity. Mm-hmm. Um, probably one of the one of the biggest inhibitors to adoption 
is the lack of simplicity. You know, I look at it as, in some contexts, um, first generation, second generation technology that we're talking about here. But um, I think, as um, as was stated, you know, the technology is becoming more uh, contextually aware and and, and 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 more simple to use. Once that occurs. I think we'll start to see widespread adoption. And I also think that as we move to a value-based care model where physicians start to take on greater risk, the delivery of care model changes and they'll be forced to, in some ways, to leverage different means to monitor patients in a more proactive way and, um, and, um, and then therefore... Uh, the Internet of Things, remote monitoring, and, and the telehealth platform will become more prevalent over the next uh, two to three years. Thank you very much, Tom. I'm going to move on to another topic. I'm looking at Tim O'Malley's notes. Something I mentioned in the opening, and I don't think we've covered it a lot or not at all, actually, talking about privacy, security of data. So, Tim, let me just read this. You say sensors and mobile devices will become a part of the IoT. Here's what I want to focus on. Data from hospitals, alternate care, and the home will become interlinked and transferred across the healthcare spectrum. Therefore, patients can move their own data through the healthcare spectrum, the healthcare system, if you will. What about privacy? Who's going to see this data? Can you protect it? Do you know who's going to touch it and do something with it and have access to it? And is it is your name scrambled? Are you just a number, which in this case could be a very good thing? Tim, talk to me. Yeah, I think security, <clears throat> obviously there's recent examples of, you know, why it's so important to secure the data that's that's out there. And I think... Um, you know, encryption at different points throughout that spectrum could certainly help with that, but I think that um, it's always going to be a challenge. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of development efforts that's going to have to go into this over time to try to secure the data at different points of care. Um, I do think the data, the value of the data throughout that spectrum of care becomes more compelling than some of the minor um, security risks that might be out there. And I'm, I don't mean to downplay security because I think it's a huge challenge for us as a whole, um, especially when you're talking about data flowing through, you know, the hospital to a rehab center to the patient's home because today that data is somewhat disconnected. And so if I'm a physician and I have a patient that undergoes an orthopedic procedure, they might be in the hospital for four or five days, they might be in a rehab facility for two or three weeks, and then they're going to be Mm -hmm. convalescing and trying to recover at home. I want to be able in the future to be able to monitor the progress of that patient without that patient having to come back to see me all the time. And so I think that, that we're going to have to really put development efforts into securing the data across that spectrum of care so that this can actually become a reality over time without the tremendous risks that are out there in some situations where people will break into the data and use it for wrong purposes. I mean, there's recent examples of that where hospitals' data was compromised and was held for ransom. And I think Mm. those are the types of things that that we're going to have to secure and button down as this whole thing evolves. 
Very interesting. Is this something you think that the average patient is aware of? If you say, hey, ma, hey, dad, hey, brother or sister or aunt or uncle, we want you to put this thing on and it's going to automatically transmit and it's really simple. And do you think anybody's saying, oh, who will know what my heart rate is from today to tomorrow and who will be monitoring my weight? Who's going to see it? Do you think, let's, let's focus on baby boomers. Tim, do you think that they are even aware or do you think it's more the millennials who may need IoT healthcare remote who are aware? You know, Who's I, really thinking about this? I think the value of the types of data will be different. So if you're looking at somebody's heart rate, their respiratory mm-hmm. rate, their activity levels, that may not be so interesting to uh, people that have ill intent. Um, that data and information will be extremely interesting for the people that are trying to develop more capability around these things because they can improve algorithms and they can improve predictability and things by gathering that data, analyzing that data, and then building software around that data. I think the data that has to be, you know, protected at the highest level is going to be the data that's worth something to the people that have ill intent. I don't think it's the collection of data points around a person's activity and well-being that's going to be so, so much of interest. It's going to be more social security numbers, uh, maybe home addresses, telephone, mm. mobile phone numbers, the, the types of information that they can use to crack into other things. Interesting. I was, I was just uh, thinking about the value of celebrity healthcare data. Could be Taylor Swift. It could be Kim Kardashian. It could be Justin Bieber. If anybody knew they were having a heart rate monitor, or if they, or if they were being monitored through some kind of sensor system, that would be uh, retrievable, or that would be highly prized data. But I digress. Let's not go there. That's a whole different classification of privacy, as if they even have any. Josh Waddell, love to have you chime in here on what Tim O'Malley has talked about: data security thoughts. Yeah, I mean it's top of top of um, mind and top of the agenda really um, across uh, everything we do within IoT, and, and, and even particularly more so when you start talking about patient data in the healthcare um, area. You know, I always look at healthcare and IoT is really kind of two sides: it's kind of the patient side, and then the kind of more traditional, just the IoT of the of the things that. Um, maybe don't aren't specific to patients, but they're just in in, in healthcare. Um, but I think you know, it, it as we make them on on you know in other areas of IoT, uh, whether it's in you know manufacturing, logistics, uh, um, maintenance, these other areas are going to uh, are going to um, help with the the security across the board, um, and specifically when we get more you know into patient data. Um, but definitely, we, you know, it's top of mind and, and top of priority. Certainly, um, certainly, you know, having a patient's health identity uh, um, stolen is, is uh, you know, almost makes uh, your um, financial identity um, seem, seem, you know, less important. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's always top of mind. Okay, let's circle back. Thank you. Let's circle back to Tom Foley. Thoughts on security and privacy? Uh, certainly, the uh, in my view, the number one uh, issue uh, that we all need to be uh, concerned about. When we talk about, you know, I'll lay out a, a particular scenario. Having lived in New Jersey, I had a, uh, a plethora of hospitals and health institutions in New York City that I could go to. I had some very good uh, ambulatory mm-hmm. centers uh, right there 
yeah, the Princeton area. And, you know, I could go down to Will's Eye Hospital in Philadelphia. Uh, the point there being is I had access to healthcare institutions, not all within the same medical community, but they were in my community. And now I know I'm in the home and I have Internet of Things and I have a, a plethora of different data that is collected. The point, the, the, uh, the, the point is that uh, we could talk about interoperability, uh, but there are still challenges within our own architecture in regards to interoperability, and it really starts with patient identity. Who is that patient? And how do I know when I merge that data, share that data? You know, it's not just sharing an instance uh, of a, a record in time. It's how do, I, how do I create this longitudinal view of my healthcare record and share that with my care and know that it's being merged with other data that is associated with my identity. Medical identity theft is an $83 billion a year problem. So even driver's licenses and insurance cards and, you know, and people getting uh, health care under uh, false pretenses creates problems in and of itself relative to data because now that data uh, relative to an, uh, another individual is going to be merged with my data. That all leads to a domino effect. So the whole probabilistic matching algorithms that we use in healthcare in and of itself is, is, is something that needs to be uh, flipped towards deterministic matching, and that only comes about when you have a true, true, um, true identity of that patient used consistently across the different settings of care. Uh, so until, so, uh, so the, the Internet of Things draws out the need for uh, draws out the you know collection of data more frequently, uh, and then you know, how do we share that data along with other data sets? Uh, I think we have some fundamentals that we'll need to nail down. Um, and and uh, so folks may say, well, that's not really a a problem. But the but the fact is is that we have again an 83 billion dollar year problem just in medical theft. And we, have, and we know statistically that there are a, a significant, a very significant number of deaths that occur each year just based on having uh, the wrong information about the wrong, at the wrong time. Thank you very much. You know what? We're almost ready for our crystal ball predictions round. We're actually there. But Josh Waddell, I want to make sure we touch on one more thing very briefly, and then we'll do very short predictions today. Let's talk about cost reductions. I'm looking at your notes, and you say, dramatic reductions in the cost of sensor technology in other industries will continue to expand into healthcare and disrupt business models for various types of service providers. Can you comment on that, Josh, please? Well, I, I put that in there because I um, I just uh, bought my grandmother a new pair of hearing aids, and I was just overwhelmed by how expensive they were. So <laughs> yes. I um, I started to, uh, to to really look into the fundamentals of why they're so expensive, um, and it's really back to this point of kind of the disruption of business model. Um, so you know, if if we have you know connected data. Um, and we we change the way we deliver healthcare. You know how are we going to um, how are we going to you know get reimbursements? What are the insurance models going to look like? You know how is the audiologist going to um, you know going to still maintain um, 
the, the level of service that they, they certainly deserve and need. Um, you know, that, that was really my comment around or why I kind of put the notes in there because I think a lot of these, uh, you know, kind of you know, consumer-grade uh, pressures for a lot of these uh, technologies, uh, you know, whether they you know, start in fitness and, and, and but then they, they make their way into kind of more medical grade, and I think they'll they'll continue to, you know, dramatically reduce the cost of a lot of the uh, the sensors um, that uh, that make it into um, our lives. Yes, thank you very much. Appreciate that. Thanks for the reference there. Yes, hearing aids are very, very expensive. Okay, I think some people would rather just not hear than have a $5,000 something buzzing in their ear all day long. What can I say? Tom Foley, let's circle back to you. I can give you uh, one minute for your predictions. Tom, I still like the year 2020, even though it's very, very close at hand. How far into the future can you see in the Lenovo Health crystal ball, and what will change if we met again at that point in the future? and talked about this topic. Tom Foley, 60 seconds, go. Uh, I would say that by uh, 2020, uh, the uh, the number of EHR platforms that are out there will be significantly reduced. I might all... Uh, so, and the EHR platform, as we know it today, will be entirely different than an encounter-based uh, platform uh, based on older uh, older technology. Um, so we will see uh, EHRs they significantly reduced. We will see EHRs more cloud, cloud-oriented. And uh, if I may say, um, uh, by 2020, we will see the uh, brick and mortar of healthcare uh, dis- starting to disappear, and healthcare will be truly uh, customized and delivered uh, at, at, at a place where the patient um, uh, most desires. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And let's give the same 60-second prediction time to Tim O'Malley at Early Sense. Tim, go ahead. As I said before, I think we're at a very fascinating point in time because I think that we have an intersection of an aging population with the baby boomer generation that want to be involved in their own health care. I think that they are looking for tools that they could use to manage their own well-being and health care. Um, so I believe that there will be, in the not-too-distant future, and certainly by 2020, the ability to have smart devices that we as baby boomers take with us wherever we go uh, with a host of um, sensors on the front end that can help us extract signals from our body to determine our well-being and health, whether it's sleep, whether it's glucose levels, whether it's uh, vital signs information, um, and I think it will become very easy to do that and also even if we're traveling, be able to, to communicate with our healthcare care uh, professionals that care for us and look over us to ensure that we remain healthy and, and stay out of the healthcare system as much as possible. Ah, that's a good goal. I like that. Josh Waddell, 60 seconds. Predict for me, please. Um, that IoT in kind of classic areas when healthcare uh, is going to start to be immediate. So like connected logistics of the hospitals and connected logistics of, of um, and preventative maintenance of the, the large equipment like MRIs. 2020, I think we're going to see dramatic changes with kind of the, the, the amounts of data and all of the analytics we can do with the data around like genome mapping and, and really planning better paths to the the right, um, you know, cheapest, most sustainable healthcare plan for, for individuals. 
Thank you very much. All good. I can't tell the three of you how much I appreciate your time, input. Very interesting conversation. I think we've only just touched the surface. So much more to talk about. So maybe we can come back for part two. I'll talk to Brad Borkin about that. So Tom Foley at Lenovo Health, thank you so much. Tim O'Malley at Early Sense, great to have you back. Josh Waddell, lovely to meet you. And thank you for moving around from hotel to hotel to find a quiet place to be on the show. Very appreciated. We knew you would make it happen. Let's see what I can predict. I can predict that I will be back in one hour with a new edition of Financial Excellence with Game Changers Radio, talking about, let's see, the digitally savvy finance executive. I have to see what our topic is. Uh, Yes, it's Behold. Here we go. Behold the digital finance professional adapting to innovation at lightning speed. That sure sounds exciting to me, and we're going to make it exciting. So there you go. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you so much to all of you who tweeted great tweet stream at hashtag SAP radio and Brad Borkin for arranging this panel. I'll be back in an hour. So thank you to Justin and the business channel team. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Talk to you in an hour. Bye bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.